0: Turning in your Bibles to Numbers 21, one other thing I want to mention, um, from time to time we have problems on sermon audio, and if you are watching at home or wherever you are and it starts having a problem, don't think that it's just your computer. It may be across the system. And so what we'd like to ask you to do is, if you are watching and there's a problem, then to let us know during the service so that it can be corrected. So you can send a text to calvarystudio at icloud.com. You can do that. And say, I'm having a problem hearing, seeing, it's blurred, it's garbled, whatever the problem is. Or you can send a text to John at 910-690-4620. Now there's going to be a random test to find out if you wrote that down. (laughs) No, I'll be glad to give you that information again, but it is important to get feedback real time from those who might be experiencing a problem. In our recent messages on Sunday morning, we've been studying in Genesis chapter 49 and looking at Israel's final words to his sons, words that have a direct application to us because the context of them is the last days. In the last two messages, we have looked at Israel's words to Reuben, and we've seen how Reuben is an example of how God's people will be living in the last days. And we're not through talking about Reuben. But in the light of the things that are happening in the world, we want to look at an eternally important order and balance that we find here in the Word of God. An order and balance that is particularly critical in these last days. The order begins here in Numbers chapter 21. There is a pattern that we find in this chapter that is repeated quite often as we study the children of Israel and their wilderness wanderings. In verse 4, we read that the people were much discouraged... Because of the way. And the, w- the way that they are discouraged by, interestingly enough, is the way that they chose. They didn't have to be in the wilderness. They could have been in the land of Canaan. The land that the Lord had given them. But in their unbelief, they chose not to go. They chose not to believe God and the consequence of their choice was the wilderness way in which they were wandering and would be wandering for the next 40 years until all that generation from 20 years old and upward that had murmured against the Lord and His provision had died. And as you look at the account of these people in the wilderness, you find that they learn nothing from the consequences of their sin, nothing from the chastening of the Lord in their lives. Here in verse 5, they continue to speak and murmur against God and against Moses. And we look at this scene and we think, How could these people be this way? How could they continue in their rebellion? And these people and their wanderings and their rebellion are here in the book for our learning. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So that we, we can be the object of the question. How can I, How can you, how can we learn nothing from the wrong choices that we make and the consequences that come as a result of our choices? How can we learn nothing from the consequences of our sin and the chastening of the Lord that comes in our lives? How can we continue to murmur and complain against the Lord for the choices that we have made And think somehow that we're justified because we're discouraged by the way that we've chosen. Folks, discouragement is no excuse for murmuring and complaining against the Lord. Look at verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this like bread. These people complain because they say, there is no bread. But there was bread. There was manna. The bread which the Lord gave them to eat. It was white. And the taste of it, we read in Exodus 16 and verse 31 was like wafers, like a flat cake that was made with honey. This bread was God's provision for His people. And we learn in John chapter 6 the significance of this manna. It was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bread of God who was going to come down from heaven and give life unto the world. And the bread that the Lord Jesus was going to give was His flesh. His body that would be broken for us on the cross of Calvary. For the life of the world. And the response of these people to God's provision to give them life is there at the end of verse 5. Our soul loatheth this like bread. Our soul loathes. Our soul abhors. Our soul hates this light bread. Our soul hates God's provision to give us life. They said the same thing in Numbers chapter 11. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. What was it that these people wanted? instead of the bread of God which came down from heaven. They wanted the food of Egypt. The fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlics. Folks, we are reading here about ourselves. We're reading here about ourselves. We're reading here about how we are by nature. Because by nature, we loathe. We hate God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 says, The carnal mind, that's the mind with which we come into the world. The carnal mind is enmity, it is hatred, it is hostile. It abhors and views God as loathsome and abominable. The carnal mind is enmity against God. And this carnal mind, this old nature with which we are born, is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. And so we would rather sit by the flesh pots in a world of death, in a world of darkness, than to taste and see that the Lord is good. And he eat his provision for our souls. Verse 6 And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Here in this verse is the consequence of our sin death. God sent the manifestation of what these people were by nature into the camp, these fiery serpents. These fiery serpents revealed the true character of what they were. They revealed the truth of what the Lord Jesus would plainly state concerning these people, concerning you and me and every person who has ever been born into this world in John chapter 8 and verse 44. Ye are of your father, The devil. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. Year of your father, the serpent. Everything that he is, you are. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people and much people of Israel died. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. This is our condition before God. Now Look at verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now notice verse 8. And the Lord said unto, the, unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, And it came to pass that if a certain, if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Please notice what we have here. The very manifestation of that which these people were serpents. The very manifestation of all that they were by nature, sin was set up to be the channel through which the grace and the mercy and the love of God was going to be poured out on poor, wounded, helpless sinners who deserve death. Now keep your place here and turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. These are familiar verses to us. The Lord's dealings with Nicodemus. His words to Nicodemus who came to him by night. Words to a master of Israel about the message of the gospel. That he should have known and understood. And notice what the Lord Jesus says in verse 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, and why did the Son of Man come down from heaven? Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We just read about that in Numbers chapter 21. Notice carefully the wording here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Lord Jesus says to this master of Israel who would have known very well the account of Numbers 21. What he's telling Nicodemus is that there, it was the serpent of brass on the pole. But what I'm telling you, the reason that I came into this world, I'm going to be the serpent. I'm going to be made the very thing that you are, sin which is exactly what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul says the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, hath made him Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Peter says it again in 1 Peter 2.24 concerning the Lord Jesus, who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed, the Lord Jesus not only died for her, for us, He died as us. The serpent on the pole in Numbers twenty-one is a picture. It's a prophecy. The prophecy of Isaiah fifty-three six. It's the 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 explanation that Paul gives in Second Corinthians five twenty-one and Peter in First Peter two twenty-four. This serpent on the pole in Numbers 21 is a prophecy of the time when the Lord Jesus would become what we are, sin. So that he would be the channel through which the grace and the mercy and the love of God would be poured out on poor, wounded, helpless, hell-deserving sinners. Now, we want to see how these people entered into this wonderful provision that the Lord made for them. The Lord Jesus tells us here in verse 15, well, let's read verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, we want to go back to Numbers chapter 21 and see how belief in Him is illustrated. Look back again at Numbers chapter 21 and verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. That's John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now look at the last part of verse 8. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. That's John 3.15. That whosoever... And we see that that word here, if you will, in the words, Everyone, whosoever, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what it means to believe is here in these words. Notice the word, Looketh, and the word, "live." It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Look and live. We sing that song. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in His Word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Look and live. That's what it means to believe please notice that it doesn't say see and live. It says look and live. There were probably in the neighborhood of 2 million people here in Israel. We say that because we know from Numbers chapter 1 that there were 603,550 men 20 years old and upward, that were able to go to war. But that number did not count the tribe of Levi, and that number did not count women and children. And so it's not a stretch at all to say that there could easily have been two million people here. Now let me ask you something. How could every Israelite have seen the serpent on the pole. The farther back in the congregation you went, the more people there would be who could not see. And please notice that the word pole in verse 8 and the word pole in verse 9 is singular there was one pole. There weren't multiple poles with serpents on them scattered throughout the congregation. And it's like that because the Lord Jesus said in John 12, 32, and I, singular, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. There weren't multiple poles with multiple serpents on them because this man, singular, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's why there was only one pole with one serpent in the camp of Israel. And it's why the command from heaven is look. These people did not have to see the serpent on the pole. They only had to believe the message. And what was the message? Look and live. Having to see... To believe is really disbelief. It's doubt. Looking without seeing is faith. Remember what the Lord Jesus told Thomas? And we've read that and know it so well that we know Thomas as what? Doubting Thomas. The Lord Jesus told him in John 20 and verse 39, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said next. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Look and live. 1 Peter 1.8 Whom having not seen, ye love. This is what it means to look. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Look and live. That's the message from heaven. Look and live. That is the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity that is in Christ. You don't need a course in theology. It's recorded in His Word. Here, in Numbers chapter 21, it's recorded in His Word in Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Look unto me, look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God. And there is none else. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. This is salvation. Look and live. Now, I want you to turn over to the book of Titus, if you will. In the book, uh, in the New Testament. Right after the book of Second Timothy. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you mark in your Bible, but if you do, mark the word live in verse 12. And then the word looking in verse 13. And when you do, immediately we notice something. The order here is reversed from what we just read in Numbers 21. That is no accident. That is a critically important message and a critically important order and a critically important balance. Look and live is the order of salvation. But after we're saved, the order of the Christian life is live and look. Live and look. You cannot live the Christian life until you have looked unto the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone And been saved. But when we have looked and been saved, now we are to live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 tell us that the love of Christ constraineth us. And because He died for us, we are not to henceforth live unto ourselves. But unto Him which died for us and rose again. And Titus here tells us something of what it means to live for the Lord. He tells those who are saved that we're to live soberly. That word means temperate. It means curbing our desires and impulses. It means to be self-controlled. The Lord Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. That's embodied in this word soberly. But that word goes back to the first words of this verse. We are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We are not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. We're not, as believers, to be identified with the character of, and the fashion of this world. We were talking about that Wednesday night. We are to live soberly. We are to live righteously, rightly, uprightly, doing that which is right in the eyes of the Lord and not turning off to the right hand or to the left. And then we're to live godly, in a godly manner, in obedience to the Word of God. And we're to live this way. In this present world. But then we're to do something else in this present world. We are to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to be living and looking. That's the exact balance for the Christian life. Not one or the other. But both. If our focus is too much on living, if we become entangled with the affairs of this life, too much focus on the business, too much focus on our family, too much focus on this life, then we won't be looking. We'll be distracted. And if our focus is too much on looking, and folks, I have to tell you this morning, it's hard not to have our focus on looking with what's going on in Israel. You and I live in an an amazing time in the history of the world. The time when we can see the events building for a man to come on the scene, the Antichrist, with a plan for peace. For a nation weary of war and fighting and constantly living on alert, living on the edge, if you will, with a world that is against them. You don't think Israel is going to be ready to make a peace agreement, enter into a covenant with the Antichrist for seven years when he's going to promise them peace. And before he comes, the Lord Jesus is going to come to the air to take his people out of this world. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so it's hard. But if our focus is too much on looking, looking we will neglect living. We can even neglect our ministry. We've all had the experience of having a vacation that was coming up. And our anticipation, our looking for the event, that event, was all we could think about. Some of us had the experience of having our boss come to us and say, you aren't on vacation yet. You aren't on vacation yet. You have got work to do. We're talking about something that is beyond imagination. Not a vacation, but heaven. Seeing the Lord Jesus face to face, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Seeing relatives who've gone before, far greater than any vacation. Yes, the Lord Jesus said, when you see all these things come to pass, look up and lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. But he also said this, Occupy till I come. This is the balance that we're talking about. We're to live in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, our, of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, this is what is instructive. The more we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, the less we will be at home in this present world. And the more we will be looking for that blessed hope in the appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the more that we are looking for Him, the more we will live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world because John tells us in 1 John 3 and verse 3, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Living and looking. The perfect balance. The way that we're to be as Christians in this present world. And it begins with salvation. It begins with looking and living. You can't live for the Lord and look for the Lord until you have looked to him. And received His life. Have you looked to the cross of Calvary? Have you looked there and seen the Lord Jesus being made your sin? That you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You can. This morning, right where you are, you can look and live. You can look to the cross of Calvary. You can repent of your sin. You can trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And then you can live and look for His appearing. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us to consider these things today. First of all, consider if we have looked and lived. If we've looked to the cross of Calvary, If we've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and received His life. And then if we we have looked and and we live, then are we living and looking? Do we have the balance? Our heads lifted up and looking, but occupying. Doing the ministry that you've given us faithfully until you come. Help us to think about these things today, and we ask it in Jesus' name.